there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Arthur, why are you wearing this silly hat? I don't know. <laughs> that's a good answer. I don't know. In fact, that's the best answer. The, the worst answer would be, I'm not wearing a silly hat. I asked somebody the other day, why are you wearing that silly hat? I'm not wearing a silly hat. You're wearing a silly hat. Monty Python, they did this skit one time, the Ministry of Silly Walks. And John Cleese would do this silly walks. And, you know, they have the bowler hat on and the suit and the whole thing and this desk and an office. And the minute somebody would come in and they had a silly walk. That's not a silly walk. You know, he'd say, and John Cleese would get up and show him a really silly walk. And sure enough, it was a silly walk. Well, we're going to talk about silly hats because we have silly hats. It's pretty bad when your thinking cap is a dunce cap. The 13th century philosopher John Duns Scotus of Duns, Scotland, a well-respected but oblique scholar, felt that conical hats increased learning potential. The theory was that knowledge is centralized at the apex and then funneled down into the mind of the wearer. It's kind of like pyramid power, you know. People used to sit under pyramids and put their razor blades under pyramids to have them sharpened, you know, and things like that. This power was being come down from the apex, was focused at the apex, it come down. And so really there's nothing new under the sun. It wasn't a dun's cap, it was a pyramid in the 60s and 70s. So Scotus was widely praised in his day, but eventually fell out of intellectual favor. His dun's became the dun's cap, his Dunn's cap was an obvious target of derision and came to symbolize stupidity. The logic behind the dunce cap, it makes slow pupils learn better, but it was later used to humiliate the wearer and motivate students to try harder. We've touched on clothes symbolizing inner attitudes. A few weeks ago, we talked about wedding garments. Common thing in the work is to talk about shoes. I have good leather for sale from which you can make good shoes. Now we're at hats. Everyone wears an invisible silly hat. And some are not as silly as others. Some are a little more pernicious than others. But how does this come about? How do we get these silly hats? What is this all about? As children, we're in essence the real, the small, the primitive, undeveloped part of us. This is the thing that's not understood very easily about essence, is that essence needs an opportunity to express. Without an opportunity to express, it cannot really develop fully. It's like a muscle. Use is what makes it strong. Use is what makes it grow. Use is what makes it responsive. Use is what trains it to do certain things. Essence is like that. You have it. You were created with it. It's your gift. It's the gift that's given to you. It's the gift of life that's given to you as you come into this world, before you come into this world, actually. But as you come into the world, it's your gift, and it's up to you to develop that gift. It's up to you to use it, to give it expression, to allow it to express in life. That's why you're here, so that your essence can transform this world. That's why you're here, so that your essence can transform this world. How can that happen if your essence doesn't get to grow, if it stays small and undeveloped? Well, it can't. It has to grow. It has to get stronger and become bigger and develop. And so that's the purpose of this life. So as children, we're in this small, primitive, undeveloped part of ourselves. 
And it's a ridiculous part and it's a beautiful part all at the same time. You look at children and you think, well, they're ridiculously not prepared for life. But you look at children and you think, oh, if we could just be more like them. So there's this beauty in it, just this beauty of essence that is so right. But in its primitive, undeveloped, weak state, it's ridiculous. It can't survive in life. And so this is the conundrum in which we find ourselves. Personality then surrounds essence. But the problem is, is that while it's protecting essence from life, it is also keeping it from growing. The work says that this is necessary. I'm not going to take issue with that because, quite frankly, I don't know and I don't care. What I do know is that this is what happens. Whether it's necessary or not, I don't know. Whether that in a perfect world, but we're not in a perfect world. We're here then based on that, maybe it is necessary. So I agree. Okay, fine, it's necessary. Personality surrounds essence, not allowing it to grow, while personality grows. Because personality also has to be able to deal with life if it's going to protect essence. Makes sense. What good's a bodyguard that is weak, that is as weak as the body that is guarding? Well, that's no good at all. But the problem that becomes false personality begins to form around personality. Now, it's false personality through which we imagine that we're real people. Once our idea of ourself, once our feeling of ourself goes out of essence into personality, that's not so bad. But when it goes out of personality into false personality, then we're in trouble. Then we have this thing, this false personality that we interact with through imaginary eye. So imaginary eye and false personality are connected together. They're kind of like joined at the hip. And we interact with false personality through imaginary eye. And through that, we imagine ourselves to be real people when the real person is actually the essential person that came into the world that is still primitive and undeveloped and weak. When I say weak, I mean, I don't mean weak backward. I mean weak forward. It's weak in its manifestation. It's not weak in its source. It's very strong in its source because it's connected with the absolute. So it's very strong in its source. But in its expression, it's very weak. And so that's why personality forms around it to protect it. And then false personality grows like barnacles on personality. And then we connect to false personality through imaginary eye. And we find that we don't know who we are anymore. We think that we are this thing that's surrounding personality. And then as we start to peel the onion, we find that we have personality underneath that false personality. But then as we continue to peel, we find that there is something essential underneath that personality, but that it's still so primitive and weak and undeveloped, it needs expression. This is what we're after. We're after the ability to express this. One of the powers of imagination is persuading us that we have something that we haven't got. Now, this may not seem like a big power, but if you think about it, if you had the power to persuade people that they had something that they didn't have, you would rule the world. You could persuade anyone that they had what they wanted. And then you could take it and you'd have it for yourself and you could leave them imagining that they had it. So you'd be the greatest thief in the world. You'd be the greatest politician in the world. You could persuade people that they had something that they didn't have, that you were doing something that you weren't doing. I know it sounds like politicians have that power, doesn't it? But they don't unless we give it to them. And of course, we give it to them because we are under the power of imagination. We believe in imagination. If we wish to awaken from this earth sleep, when I say earth sleep, I mean that when we come here to this earth, in the very beginning, when we're little children, we're awake. You look at little children, they're awake. The wonder of life is all they care about. This present moment is all they care about. If they get stung by a bee, they cry. If you get stung by a bee, you don't. You have a lot of other reactions about it. 
If a child falls down, the child cries. If you fall down, you look around to see if anybody saw it. <laughs> this is all false personality. This is all that covers up this essence. Because essence is embarrassing to false personality. So this earth sleep in which we're all used, and I mean literally, while we are in this earth sleep, we are being used. All of this personality and false personality is not real. It simply surrounds what is real. Essentially, it is parasitical in nature. It is living off of the life flow that comes through essence, through our essential self. So it's essentially eating it. It's eating what comes from that. Now, because essence is connected, because essence source is so powerful and so abundant, it can eat for a long time and not destroy it. Some people think you can't destroy it at all. This work says that essence can be forced into, well, let's say, just it's kind of obnoxious to me. I can't say destroyed because I don't think the essential self can be destroyed. I think it can be forced out of manifestation. I think it can be forced back to its source, in a sense, withdrawn. But I'm not sure it can be destroyed. That's just my personal opinion, and it's, I'm certainly not putting this out as the truth. I do not know this to be true. It's just what satisfies me in this moment and fits. It works for me now. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. And I'm, I'll be happy to find out that it's wrong and I'll correct it when I do. Until then, it's my opinion. Opinions are always wrong. Take it as nothing other than that uh, unless you know better. And if you know that that's the way it is, well, then good for you. Then you know the truth and drop me an email and I'll be happy to... I'll be happy to stay on track, not that it'll change much, because this is an incidental thing for me. It's not core, it's not a core necessary thing for me. So it's incidental. But this, um, if we wish to awaken from this earth sleep, in which we're all used, and that's what's making life a pain factory, because we're being used for other purposes, purposes other than what essence has brought us here for, what, what we have been created to do here, we're being used for some other purpose. Our life force is being bled off and directed in some other direction. If you wish to awaken from the earth's sleep, then you must struggle with imagination. Now, I've looked long and hard at this struggle thing. And unfortunately, I just don't see any other way. It's just a struggle. And it's not a struggle so much because the imagination fights us. Because the imagination isn't real. It doesn't exist, so it can't really fight us. The struggle is our commitment to imagination. So we're really struggling with ourselves. We're really struggling with our own stubbornness that things have to be the way we want them to be, which is basically false personality, because that's what says things have to be the way we want them to be in order for us to be happy. This is the only way to awaken from sleep, to grow, to develop internally, and it can only be done through positive ideas. So here's the thing about this struggle. And this, again, is my take on this, my understanding of this. If your understanding is different, okay, I don't have a problem with that. But this is what works for me now. Positive ideas make this struggle possible because without positive ideas, we're simply wrestling with ourselves. It's like one hand wrestling with another hand. It's like you take your two hands and you, they get in a fight. Which is strongest? Which is going to win? Well, you just wear yourself out and you get nowhere. You're just fighting yourself. But this third force enters, this third force of a positive idea and it breaks this hands locked together in struggle. It breaks them. And you get to look at two separate hands. You get to separate the hands. And you get to see that you are not one, that you have this and you have that, that you have placed your feeling of I in this, and you've placed your feeling of I in that, and you've placed your feeling of I in this finger, and that finger, and this finger, and that finger, this thumb, and that thumb. So you've got this multiplicity, and you can be in any one of those at any moment, but not according to your will. Your attention doesn't go where you direct it, your attention goes where it's pulled, where it's captured, where it's caught, and then it's dragged off by that. 
And so you're not in control. And these positive ideas give you the opportunity to get some space between your hands that are struggling with each other and you and your hands so that you can look at them and start to see how things are. Now, we can't see how things are on our own because our minds are so twisted with imagination and false personality and desires and insanity that we need positive ideas to kind of wedge in there and be a guidepost to be a kind of like an anchor, to be a touchstone, to be a Rosetta Stone, from which we can begin to translate our own twisted, confused, Tower of Babel, confusion of tongues, lives that we're enmeshed in, that we're entangled in. We're not living them, they're living us. And they're not really living us, they're thrashing us. And occasionally, we have this idea that we're really in charge. At least I hope it's only occasionally now. I mean, for people who are hearing this maybe for the first time, they may be thinking, you're insane. I'm always in charge. <laughs> right? And there will come a day, if they ever get some of these positive ideas and allow them to come in, that they will see how, just how crazy they are to say that. I mean, you have thought how many times that you were in charge. Now you're suspicious about it. Now you doubt. And the amount of energy, the amount of power... The number of positive ideas and the amount of work that you have to do to get to the place where you can doubt yourself, it's formidable, isn't it? And it takes a long time. But, oh, thank heaven for the day you get there when you can doubt yourself. Thank heaven for the day that you can say, when you can say, I would love to be free from this plague of myself, this plague of false personality. We've really got to be disgusted with ourselves. We've really got to get to the place where it's just like, okay, I have had enough. I've had enough of this mind. I've had enough of its thoughts. I've had enough of its desires. I've had enough. Enough. Shut up already. I'm tired of listening to you. I'm tired of you being in my head. Get away from me. It's like throwing out demons, you know. Get out of me. And then in the name of the work, in the, in the name of Gurdjieff, leave me. You know, it's like for those of you who are into that kind of thing and for the rest of you who are into something else, well, then that's fine. You know, whatever. I don't, but you, would understand, you understand what I'm saying. It's like you just want to be separated from this thing. You want to peel this thing off of you. And that's when you begin to feel essence. When you want to peel this thing off of you, it's because you have had some flashes, some glimpses of your essential, your, your essential nature, your essential self. And then suddenly this thing starts to be crowding you. It's choking you. It's smothering you. It's like, ah, you realize that you're in this jar and that the lid is screwed down and this is not your rightful place. You start to see through the jar and you start to see the outside world and you want to be out there. You don't want to be in this thing anymore. It becomes a very emotional experience. Very emotional. I mean, you long, you long to be free. You long to be free from yourself, this false personality that you've called I. And that longing becomes this great wish that Gurdjieff talked about when he said, I wish to remember myself. This is this longing, powerful, emotional wish, this desire, this deep, powerful desire that comes from, from your essential self to be free from this shell, to be free from this glass jar, to be free from this imprisonment, this cell, this, this horrible thing that has captured us and kept us stuck in here. There's actually some kind of sense of I, feeling of I, that actually begins to connect with essence. And you begin to feel your essential self. can't be described really, but you begin to, you begin to feel it. You begin to experience it. And you begin to see yourself apart from this jar, this thing that you're living in, this thing that's running you around, that's, that's draining you, that's making you say and do all these ridiculous things that you would never do in your right mind. But it's so hard to stay in your right mind. 
so hard to stay in your right mind. We stay in our right minds for just a moment, a flash, and then we're gone again. We're dragged off, dragged off captive by this powerful thing that we have grown, that we have acquired, and that's the false personality. Until finally we find that the only way to live with it is to agree with an adversary quickly while you're on the road with him. So he doesn't turn you over to the judge, you know. And so you find yourself agreeing with false personality and imagining and thinking that's what I am. And your imaginary eye is back and you're back into that. Longing for another flash of when you can get back to your essential self. Negative ideas put us to sleep while positive ideas awaken us. Anything that strengthens false personality is a negative idea. It's just that simple. Anything that strengthens false personality is a negative idea. Anything that weakens it, makes it more passive, is a positive idea. What we have found, what we are finding, is that the only thing that weakens false personality is positive ideas. And positive ideas come from sea influence. Positive ideas come from somewhere outside of this life, somewhere outside of the false personality, the personality, the acquired self. Positive ideas must come from somewhere else. And so there are people who broke out, who got out, And they send messages back to the poor crickets stuck in the jar. And they send plans and they send files in the pies and how to get out, you know, and maps. And they say, look, you can get out. There is a way out. This is the way. But it takes such a tremendous effort to even believe that, to even see. It takes so long to even see that we're in this prison that the idea of getting out is like, forget about it. This is all I know. This is all there is. There isn't anything else. Internally, we're children. We're not grown up to our potential purpose, that for which we came here. If we were grown up, war would cease instantaneously on this planet. If we were to grow up, our essential self, if we were to grow up, war would be impossible. Absolutely impossible. It could not happen. As we are, though, not only is war a possibility, for us it's a necessity. That's how insane we are. That's how far we are from our essential self. We're all wearing costumes and uniforms with pasted on faces and expressions. As long as we're in our element, it's all fine. Outside our familiar element, we're uncomfortable. We become embarrassed and then we start the play acting. We start smiling or being sad or doing whatever we do. Look at the pasted on expressions that we have. You walk into a room, what do you do? There are certain things that you do. There are certain things that are required of you that you do. And these are all the false things about us. This is the first education that's imposed on us by life. We learn how to be social creatures in prison. We learn how to do it. We learn how to get along with the other prisoners so that we don't get stabbed in the night or set on fire or beat to death or whatever happens in prison, all these horrible things that can happen in prison. The education of personality, that's what this is. We're trained how to have manners, how to get along with somebody, how to smile at someone when you really just want to bite their juggler vein out. But you're trained not to do that. Because you're not, they're not giving you what you want. Not, you're not getting your way. They're opposing you in some way. And you want to kill them. You want to destroy them. You want to make them go away. But we're trained how to become ninjas, how to become assassins in the darkness, how to eliminate the person, how to assassinate the person without drawing blood, how to assassinate the person without going to jail. And so we end up then character assassinating. We end up doing all these other things. We end up undermining people. We end up separating from them, making them the bad guy, making them the villain. We end up doing all of these things to eliminate them, to get them out of the way. We divorce them. We fire them. We push them away. We throw them out. We do whatever we do. So this second education that the work talks about is what weakens personality and strengthens who we actually are so that the real in us can begin to grow. You, after all these years, know one thing beyond the shadow of a doubt. 
I say this to you, and your heads will nod, and your eyes will brighten, and your mouths will smile, and it will come from deep inside of you, because you know it's a difficult job. There's no way to get around it. This is hard work. And it's hard work because we are battling ourselves. We are battling who we think we are. And it keeps on pulling us back into it. It keeps on sucking our sense of self back into it. And we have to then find a way through these positive ideas. These positive ideas become a rope, a ladder, so that we can start to climb back out of this pit that we get sucked back into by false personality, by imaginary I. We live by meaning. So it's the most important thing. If you think about life, meaning is the most important thing. What does food mean? What does water mean? What do people mean? What does the sun mean? What does air mean? What does life mean? Meaning is the most important thing. People have all different kinds of meanings for everything. All different kinds of meanings. I don't know that it's infinite, the infinite number of meanings. I don't think it's like that. But I think there are so many different kinds of meaning for any one thing. So meaning is very important. And this work says that we must separate from the old, from the worn out meaning, so that we can let in new meaning. For our existence. The meaning that we take from life now feeds false personality. We need to separate from that meaning so that we can let in a new meaning that will feed our essential self, that will help the real of us to grow. This is why these positive ideas are so important. If we don't get new meaning, our bodies live, but we die. How many dead people did you meet last week? How many dead people did you have something to do with last week? People who had no clue of the meaning of life. How many times were you one of those dead people when you had no clue about the meaning of your own life, when you had forgotten completely about why you were here, when you thought you were here to get this or to get that, when your sense of I had been sucked back into false personality and you had forgotten your true meaning completely. New meaning is only possible through positive ideas. You won't get it after a time from life ideas. See, people think, oh, but as you get older, you get wise. No, you don't. As you get older, you get old. That's all you get. You get closer to death. You decay. You don't get wise unless you did the things that make wisdom yours. That's the only way you get it. You don't get it just by living life. By living life, you get more life, more acquired life. Silly hats is new meaning because it's a positive idea. We're clothed physically by clothes and clothed mentally by truth. Well, if we're clothed mentally by truth, then why are we all mentally so different? What you think is truth is clothing for your mind body. What you think the truth is, is what is clothing your mind's body. So you think the truth is one thing, and you think the truth is something else, and you think the truth is something else, and I think the truth is something else. And so we each have different clothing on our mind body. We're first our physical body. It's what we see first. You walk into a room, the first thing you see is physical bodies. A room full of people, the first thing you see is physical bodies. If you are there... If you know how to do it, if you know how to go up to a person and find what's real in them, if you have any contact at all with the real in yourself, then you can go and you can recognize the real in someone else. And by recognizing the real in someone else, you help them automatically to recognize the real in themselves and the real in you. When you recognize the real in yourself, other people will begin to recognize the real in you. And when they begin to recognize the real in you, they begin to recognize the real in themselves. This is very powerful, very powerful. This is why you're here. Recognize the real in yourself. Recognize the real in other people. But no, we don't want to do that. We want to be separate from other people. Well, what is it that wants to be separate from other people? Well, it's not the real in you. 
The real in you knows it's one with these other people. It's the false personality that wants to be separate from other people. It's the false personality that doesn't want to be bothered by other people's unpleasant manifestations. It's the false personality that feels superior to them. It doesn't have any unpleasant manifestations. Only all those other people I don't want to be around. They're the ones with the unpleasant manifestations. If I can eliminate them, I eliminate all unpleasant manifestations from my life and I live in peace, bliss, harmony, wonder, and opulence for the rest of my days. Except that doesn't work. But it's a great theory, and that's all that false personality needs, is a great theory. Because it's imagination, and imagination satisfies every center. So we're first our physical body, it's what we see, but we also have an invisible psychology. What the senses reveal may show us nothing of a person's psychology. You look at a person, you know, that looks like a good person. How many people have we elected to office because they looked good? They get in there and it's like, oh man, why didn't I just elect Satan? At least you know who he is when you see him, you know. There he is. He's the guy with the pitchfork and, the, and he's all red and he's got his tail with a, a spear thing on the end of it. And, you know, he's got horns and he's horrible and, you know, he only wants to do bad things. And, you know, why didn't I just elect him? That way I know what I got. But no, we elect these people that look like something else. And then we find out that their psychology doesn't match what they physically appear to be. I don't just mean that. Obviously, we marry people like that, too. <laughs> In fact, everybody we know is like that. Their psychology does not match their physical appearance. Very few people does their psychology match their physical appearance. And the reason very few people have that is because very few people are real. Real people, their realness shows through. You see it. You see it through whatever they are. It shines through whatever they are. It doesn't matter what they are. A passing expression may show us the nature of the inner psychology, but we'll ignore it if we wish. You meet somebody. Oh, isn't she beautiful? Oh, my God, I don't think I've... Oh, she's the most beautiful creature. Oh, look at him. What an Adonis. Oh, that guy is just... He's to die for. And so then you see this passing expression on their face, and it shows you an ugly, selfish, cruel inner psychology. But you ignore that for the outer appearance. And you find yourself in a world of woe later. And I'll just let it be there because I know that your minds are working on that. As you review your history... Divorce courts, wars, all show us that things are not as they appear, but that we are asleep, and sometimes willfully so. You try to wake somebody up when they want to sleep, and you wish you hadn't. Some people can be very aggressive about that. It's why it said, love is blind. The senses will betray us into the psychological hands of misery. I wrote that. <laughs> it sounded great when I wrote it. It's like, boy, it made perfect sense to me. The senses, what we see, what we see in the world, will always betray us into the hands of psychological misery. Looks great, but we find out later that psychologically, that is not a good thing. But the senses led us right down the garden path, and then only later do we find out what happened. The part of the psychological body linked to how we think is our hat, your thinking cap. Put on your thinking cap. I mean, how many times have you heard that? It's the hat. This is the, the psychological image, the psychological meaning of a hat is that which clothes your thinking. The head thinks, and its covering is what clothes it. The hair represents something else. We won't go into that now. You remember the Bible story about Samson and his hair? He got his hair cut, and he was weak, he let his hair grow, and he was strong. Well, we'll save that for another time. But right now, we're going to talk about hats. Samson didn't wear a hat. He wore hair instead. We think from what for us is truth. What truth? The forms of truth that you've been taught and that you accept. That's your hat. Now, when you think about the forms of truth that you've been taught and that you've accepted, and you think of them in, alongside of a positive work idea, you're asleep, you're not one, 
Try not to express negative emotions. Try not to love negative emotions. Try not to delight in negative emotions. Just that. Those are positive work ideas. You think of the forms of truth that you've been taught and accepted compared to those ideas. You're wearing a silly hat, aren't you? I mean, it's really silly. It's absurd to think that negative emotions could bring us something positive. Well, if you take two negatives, you get a positive. If you take ten negatives, you get five positives. If you take twenty negatives, you get ten positives. And it's absurd. In the light of truth, that's a silly hat. That's just crazy thinking. So when somebody says, why are you wearing that silly hat? There are lots of answers. It's the family hat. This hat has been in my family for years. Everybody in my family wore this hat. It's passed down from generation to generation. And when you think about it, that's really true. Or how about, well, it's a country hat. This hat is made of the flag of our country. And so it's, it's a patriotic hat. It's a silly hat. Or it's a tribal hat. Well, this is what our clan wears. This is the hat that our clan wears. So it's our tribal hat. So why is it that you think like that? Well, because it's our family thinking. It's been passed down for generations. It's our country thinking. It's been passed down for generations. It's our tribal thinking. It's been passed down for generations. We have this commitment to it. We think it's a good thing that we want to keep, that we, that we need. So we look out into the world and we see that one person wears a hat and it's a helmet. Okay, so they're a certain kind of person. Well, another person wears a headdress. It's got all kinds of feathers and things in it. And each thinks that their hat is the right one. It's the absolute hat. This is the right hat. Everybody should have this hat. This is the right hat. This is the absolute hat. Everybody thinks that their hat is the right hat. Everybody thinks that their truth is the right truth. And all other truth is absurd compared to... All other truth is silly hats compared to their truth. We're wearing invisible hats because they belong to our acquired invisible mind. Our acquired invisible mind is a body that can be clothed and is clothed. And what it's clothed with can be changed. Yes, we live in visible bodies, but we really live in our thoughts, our feelings, our moods, our desires, and in our invisible ambitions. You may be in a body, but you are nowhere near as aware of that body as you are of your thoughts, your feelings, your dreams, your daydreams, your imaginations, the crap that's running through your head. See, because your head is wrapped, your mind is wrapped in this silly hat. And it affects everything that goes on in your mind. We're really invisible, you and I. We're like the peanut in the shell that only the peanut knows. The peanut in the shell knows it's in there, but everything on the outside doesn't. All it sees is the shell. Outside, we're visible to others as a physical body. In any real sense, we are almost totally invisible. Sometimes you will find a perceptive person who can pierce the shell and see you. And when you find people like that, they're scary. Our first tendency is to embrace them. Then our next tendency is to push them away and to keep them away and to get away from them. Because if you can see that in us, then what else can they see? And we have a lot of things that we're hiding, a lot of things that we don't want anyone to see. And so someone like that becomes very dangerous to us. And you'll find yourself having problems with people like that for a long time and recurring until one day you begin to value new meaning more than you value old meaning. You remember what they say, what it says in the Bible about new wine and old wine? Someone's given new wine and they say they don't like it. The old wine is better. And that's the way it is. See, I come with new wine and you go, oh, no, I don't like that. The old is better. They prefer the old because it's familiar. It's, it's aged. It's, it's better. And the new wine, it's like it's a little raw. It's got a little bite to it. It's, you know, it's a little uncomfortable. We're not sure we like that. You put new wine into old wineskins and burst the wineskins and the wine goes and the, the skins are ruined and the wine's poured out and the wine's ruined. So you have to put new wine in new wineskins. So we need to start to think differently. 
We need to prepare ourselves for this new wine. We need to prepare ourselves for this new meaning. We need to prepare ourselves for these new ideas. They don't just happen. They don't just come right up. You've got to clear the way first. And part of clearing the way is clearing the way of negative emotions. Part of clearing the way is clearing the way of old ideas. Part of clearing the way is clearing the way of old meaning. That has to be done. And it's the hard work of transformation that has to be done to pave the road for this effortless thing to happen. There's a lot of work in this effortless thing, this struggle. Our understanding of our aloneness will save us from constant self-pity. We're alone. How are we alone? It's nobody's fault that we're not understood because we're invisible and no one can know us. How could anyone know you? You're invisible. Who you really are is not the body. And what people see is the body. Who takes the time to see anything more? Very few people. That's why we have this group and there are very few people in this group because very few people are willing to take the kind of time and effort that it takes to get new meaning and to pierce through the outer to what's real. The truth is, because we're invisible, no one can know us. Only you can know yourself. This work says, begin with trying to understand yourself. It's a big job, big job, that shifts effort to the right place. Yes, it's a big job, but just taking the job on, not finishing it, just taking it on, automatically shifts effort to the right place in you. It automatically changes your center of gravity. And that is a very powerful movement even though it's a slight movement. It's a very powerful movement. It's a very important movement. Imagination says, I know myself. I understand myself. And while under that illusion, nothing will change for you. You'll have the same troubles, the same unhappiness, the same tragedies repeating in your life over and over and over again in cycles. Maybe not every day, but in cycles. It will happen. This teaching will tell you the truth so that you can think in a new way. It gives you a new hat woven of positive ideas. Your being attracts your life. Change your being and your life will change. This is a positive idea. You are not one. You are many. You are not who you think you are. You are something else that you don't know yet, that you're getting glimpses of, that you're getting a taste of every now and again. These are positive ideas. These will change your life. These will give you a new hat with which to cover your mind body. And it will enable your mind-body to start to move in the realms of truth instead of in the realms of all of this invisible, ma- all this visible madness that we see in the world. So take off that silly hat. <laughs> Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.